Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in. We have an amazing episode for you this week. As always, before we start, please follow, subscribe, rate, review. I know you guys are listening and love the podcast, and I want to make more episodes for you, and I want to get more cool people on and have amazing conversations. So these little things, it helps grow the podcast. So I really appreciate it. On to the show. This week, we have Dane Jackson. Dane is an awesome, awesome kayaker, is the best all-around whitewater kayaker in the world. He's got more than 80 first place medals from international competitions. He jumps or sends, uh, I'm not sure what the correct terminology is, some of the biggest waterfalls that kayakers do, uh, 100-footers, 137 he recently did in uh, Chile. So just, he's unbelievable. His dad was a legend in the sport as well, and it just carried on to the next generation, and he just kind of made it even more amazing, essentially. So a lot of fun with Dane, and I know nothing about kayaking. I know absolutely zero. I've been, I think I did whitewater rafting perhaps twice in my life, maybe three times at best, and which is different. It's not kayaking, but, you know, not knowing things not knowing that what you don't know is a good thing. That's why I enjoy the podcast so much. I get to talk to some amazing people who are top of their game, top of their field, top of the industry. They've been doing these things their whole life, and I just get to extract information from them and learn from them. And hopefully you guys can learn something and extract value from these conversations as well. Dane is essentially an encyclopedia of kayaking and rivers. He is like uh, he is like a fish in water. He knows so much about this. He's lived this, breathed this since he was essentially a baby. You know, a few weeks already. He was he was in the kayak when he was two. So he knows this probably more than a lot of people. Definitely more than a lot of people. And we also discussed the dams, which. You know, I know peripherally, I know a little bit about the topic. I know I've, I've seen a few documentaries. I'm no expert. So Dane explained a few things to me and we actually linked. I'm actually going to link a few of the um, things that he discussed. So the TED Talk and there's a few other organizations that are working on on this subject. So feel free to to, to click those links. If you want to learn more about dams and about what you can do and if it's net positive, it's net negative. I know in a lot of places it's net negative. It does not bring the economic prosperity that it is initially promised to bring. I know that it has a lot of environmental impacts on certain communities. I know it hurts uh, wildlife. So it's not as potentially green energy as it is promised to be. And all we can really do, I guess, is read up on it and learn more about the topic. And that's why I provided the links. But we do get into it on the podcast. It's very interesting. So I hope you enjoy it. And let's jump right into the podcast. All right. This is a really fun one. I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it. Let me introduce this week's guest, Dane Jackson, everyone. Enjoy the episode. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Jackson, how you doing, sir? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me, dude. Yeah, man, it's a, it's a pleasure. 
I'll be honest, you know, I've had base jumpers, mountaineers, big mountain snowboarders, uh, what else? Climbers, Arctic explorers. What you do is probably the most terrifying out of all of them. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, no, it's definitely had fun. It's probably the most terrifying and arguably the most skilled. Uh, to each their own, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I mean, there's, there's different dynamics. Everyone's got to kind of figure out their own thing and there's risk, different risks for each thing. So I, I wouldn't, uh, I appreciate the sentiment, but you know, everyone's got to deal with their own challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I look and I don't know if it's, it's, I don't know if it's because of the point of view shots, you know, like the GoPro on the helmet, which really gives the, the, the person like a feeling like they're going with you on this journey. Cause when you see a regular shot, not that it doesn't look terrifying, it looks less terrifying, right? Like when you have like a professional camera on the side, but when it's just like, Hey, I'm on this journey with you through this GoPro. It's like, holy shit, <laughs> this is terrifying. <laughs> Especially like, and we'll get into like all the, all the different, and, and also like in advance, I apologize for all the stupid questions I'm about to ask. Cause I know nothing about kayaking, whitewater, rafting, oh, all that stuff. Like I'm just complete, not even a novice, just, I, I know nothing. So you're going to have to kind of walk, walk us through, you know, all the information. Sounds great. Sounds great. Let's do it. Cool, man. All right. So I mean, let's, let's go back. Maybe, you know, for listeners that don't know, obviously you're one of the, I mean, from what I read, one of the best all around whitewater kayakers in the world, more than 80 first place medals from international competitions. How did you, you know, how'd you get into the sport? Um, so basically by the time I came around, my dad was already a professional kayaker. Um, he went to the 92 Olympic for slalom, grew up doing a lot of kayaking. Um, uh, and basically when I was born, he got me into it pretty much right away with my sister. Um, he like, was putting on my lap, like, you know, going around the river, whatever it was. And then I was about four years old. We moved into an RV full time where we didn't even have a house anymore. We just had really? six years in an RV. And from there, yeah, just went straight into it. And from there, we were just traveling wherever my dad wanted to go kayaking. We were just traveling around as a family together in an RV wherever seen best, West Coast, East Coast, Canada, whatever it was. Um, and through that, I was surrounded by kayaking all the time, whether it was, and we were even going international at that point. So almost like the entire year, just surrounded by kayaking, whether I was watching it, trying to steal people's kayaks and other kid to get in, having my own <laughs> kayak or playing around the river, whatever it was, I was either, everything was involved around kayaking. And so right away, I wanted to get into it. My dad basically had a huge part of that, obviously. Yeah. And from there, it just kind of took off. So it's a family endeavor. You've essentially born into it. Yeah, 100%. And uh, my dad still kayaks all the time. He's a pro bass fisherman now, but he also still does a ton of whitewater. Uh, my sister, um, we all are part of our family company, Jackson Kayak, and she still kayaks all the time. Her, She was the world champion of freestyle. Her husband was the world champion of freestyle. Their kids are getting into kayaking now, so we're, we're very much uh, a family of kayakers. <laughs> so... I mean, I guess, how was that experience from a, a being, because that's not a normal upbringing, like the average kid doesn't grow up in an RV and, and kayaking. And I've seen, I actually went, I scrolled all the way to, to, to like, I think your first YouTube video, which was like 13 <laughs> years ago or 14 years yeah. ago. It was a long time. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you can't see much, but like you're a little kid and you're doing these like massive 
I don't know, whitewater. You're like, you're dropping off like waterfalls. So, I mean, how, how was yeah. that experience growing up like that? I mean, there's in the end, there's nothing to complain about. It's simply a really fortunate way to grow up, not only yeah. because of just the things I got to do, got to do it with my family, uh, but the biggest thing was to have um, something to pursue and like a sport like given to me at such an early age and the opportunity to to push that sport like a like growing up you know it's just 100% kayaking and that has turned into where I am at today so like I've had that from the beginning and my dad and my my family gave me that opportunity which was amazing but on top of that just gave the opportunity to not only get to go to all these places with my family um and have the experience every day of hanging out with them but also with all my friends and just the things I got to see whether it's Africa New Zealand whatever it was just uh through kayaking got a lot of incredible opportunities that we wouldn't have had and uh, yeah i got no complaints for the way i was brought up it's really fortunate wow so there's like uh, for i know so like example um i don't know maybe snowboarders right and, and they go and they and they chase where the best snow is right and then they'll oh it's, it's snowing in Tao. let's go to Tao. it's snowing in whatever montana let's go to montana and then when it's summer they'll go maybe to the southern hemisphere and they'll try to like chile or australia whatever you guys were doing that with rivers essentially pretty much. I mean, it's just like, um, I'm sure every sport has kind of own thing, but kayaking, um, it everywhere had the season, the best time of the year, depending on what kind of kayaking you're into or what you want to do. Um, and what it really comes down to usually is, you know, in the winter time, there's some places you can kayak around like, you know, North America, or I should say more like the U S but in the winter, you know, it starts to get a little cold. Some places don't rain in the winter. It just gets snow or maybe all the rivers are low or maybe it's just rivers aren't running. So that's a good time to maybe go find somewhere warm or go somewhere overseas, whether it's like you're saying Chile, go to Mexico, um, go to Africa, just depend on what kind of kayak you're into because everywhere kind of has its own style and different time of the year. Um, and so for me, it kind of usually comes down to like, um, like end of February, beginning of March, I'll get in my RV. I live in a travel trailer. Um, I'll spend from then pretty much until September in the RV full-time traveling wherever the water seems best, whether, you know, I started off, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, then I went down to California then I went to Colorado, Idaho, Washington. I've been traveling around for the last five months. Um, and now just finishing up now that things are getting a little lower here, I would normally travel internationally, you know, go somewhere like Norway, um, like in the summertime where there's other places that just had the season starting. Um, unfortunately, not able to travel this year, but luckily there's still some water that I'm chasing around the West Coast. I'll go back East. I'll finish up everything probably on the East Coast, usually in Eastern Canada, finish up the races in the fall in the Southeast US. And then as things start to get a little colder, uh, that's when I'll usually travel international. And a lot of time it usually ends up being the Zambezi River in Africa, Chile, Mexico, or maybe somewhere new like India, like I'm, I've been in India, but like, that's just a good opportunity to travel international probably usually when I do my expedition. Wow. So, I mean, I guess, what do you look for in a river? Well, I guess like two questions, like what do you look for in a river? And then what are the hotspots for like, what are the, you know, like for, let's say mountaineering, I keep going back to that example, but like, you know, they, everyone's going to Nepal, to Nepal, right. Cause that's where all the big yeah. mountains are, or there's a few places here in the U S that a lot of mountaineers go or like, where are the hotspots for, for kayaking? Uh, it really depends on the type of kayaking, but in the end, there's definitely like, like many sports, there's a couple of really good hotspots. Usually it comes down to, um, a lot of people decide kind of what kind of kayaking they enjoy the most, whether it's no big white water. So um, really good spot. You can go, it used to be like the Nile river a lot. 
or the Zambezi over in the winter. Like those are two amazing rivers. The water is warm. It's big water. Um, and that's also a good place to do like freestyle kayaking. And it's just, it's a great spot to spend the winter. So those are usually hot spots. Um, there's a place in Mexico, Tlapacoyan, which is this one town. And outside of that town is some of the most like incredible kayaking for waterfalls and steeper kayaking in the world. Like it's basically like you might have to drive 45 minutes to a certain river and one river has like 10 different sections on it. But if you want to spend like two weeks and push yourself around some really hard waterfalls and really hard white water and just have like a really amazing time, you can go there. And that's actually a spot that a lot of people go to try to um, learn running waterfalls or get better at running waterfalls because there's a lot of smaller ones. You can work your way up. Um, and then as you go into somewhere like the summer for like in the U.S., you know, there's not a lot of water in a lot of places. That's yeah. a lot of people usually end up going to somewhere like Norway. Um, so like that's definitely another really big hotspot and one of the few places that um, like most kayakers are like, I want to go to Norway. Like those are, those two examples are like places that like if you're coming into kayaking or you're learning or getting better at running harder white water. You probably at least heard about a few of these places and most people are like, I want to go there. But depending on kind of what you're looking to do. So like for me, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm a novice, right? Like I, I look at a river and all I see is a stream of running water, right? Like <laughs> right. When, when, when you look at a river, like, are you seeing things that I'm not like, are you seeing the, I don't know, the current, the texture, the, the volatility, all these different things perhaps? Yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, uh, you know, when we, when you're surrounded by something like I'm seeing thousands of rivers every year and things, I'm not kayaking i'm watching footage of kayaking or i'm looking at other places to go kayaking um so we're definitely when we see rivers you know if we were to walk by a river together it's going to be very clear to me what features look like whether it's features forming from the rock off the side whether it's um whether or not a, a big waterfall is runnable just from first look um or whether or not a massive rapid is runnable or even just um even if it's really small um white water i could still you know probably notice a lot of things you might not notice right away just because we're we're, we have to look for those features, not only because we're surrounded by the river all the time, but you need to be able to notice these features and notice where the dangers are and where the features are if you want to start running, because that's what you do all the time when you run hard whitewater, usually scouting from the side before you even get a chance to run the rapid because you need to know where you're going. I think it's probably got to be similar to, you know, you know, climbers and snowboarders where we look at the face, we can have a sense of what they're like looking for it, but we're not able to like pick out all the little details of why that makes that route harder or why that spot's good and not that one. Um, so I think it's a very similar thing like that with kayaking where we're just kind of able to notice a lot of things that other people might not because that's what, we're, what we need to be able to do. And are there still things that like surprise you or like, I don't know, you maybe misjudge, like you'd be like, oh, that looks like, I don't know, whatever it is. Like, I don't know. Do you have like a grading system that you do? Uh, we do. Um, we do. It's um. It's one to five. Um, it's just based like one being the easiest white water, basically like flat water, mm -hmm. and then five being like you know the top level. Unfortunately, it is a a, a not a good grading system <laughs> at all. Um, it's I, I've I've always wanted to try to maybe change it up because unfortunately one to five. No, everyone's heard class five. Everyone's heard class yeah. six. Even if you've never involved in white water, you've heard that. And unfortunately, when it's just such a small, um, just and like one to five, you only have those option grading system. It all comes down to subjectiveness. It's very easy. It's just like someone that is just starting to learn class three might think this one step up rapid is a class five when it's probably still only like a 
three plus or a four or something like that. So it's, it's not the best grading system. I wish we had something that's a little more, and I'm sure there's things with climbing and other things, other sports have a similar issue in some ways, but one to five is just not a good enough grading system to compile like so many different things. Um, but yeah, we do have a grading system and it's one to five. Yeah. With climbing, I feel like it's the same. Like I remember I used to climb in, in different gyms and, uh, it'll be like a V3. And then you go yeah. and I'm like, all right, you know, it's pretty easy. And I'll go another gym and a V3 is almost impossible. Like right. how, how are the, how is this the same system? <laughs> like it's not, it's right. not, yeah, it's not so, uniform. Yeah, no, it's hard, but at least they have a system that can continue to grow. Like based on like, it, it doesn't have an ending because the number can just keep going up. Um, like five ten used to be the hardest routes and now they're in five fifteen or whatever. I don't know what the, the max in right yeah. now, but yeah. Uh, no, it's definitely uh, all sports. I'm sure struggle with that a little. Um, but yeah, that's our system. Yeah. No, it's it's. So, have you ever kind of misjudged? You're like, all right, that's like probably a, a whatever. I don't know a three or a four, and then you go in and it's like, holy shit, this was much. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe they're undercurrents, or maybe it's like stronger in certain areas than because it's it's hard, right? Like it's not like like you said, it's not exact science. Like you can go and you can think it's something, and then when you're on the water, it's something a little bit different. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like by the time you get to a certain level of kayaking, you're not necessarily like I, the one thing about like the one to five is that like, we might mention it a few times, but that's just a really good way for, um, I think mainly people that are learning to have kind of like a, a sense of what a run is before they put on or, or what a rapid is before they go. But as we get better, I find that we don't really end up used like saying to each other, Hey, we got a class five rapid coming up. It all just comes down to, um, kind of looking at the moves themselves and then deciding if you feel good enough for the moves, you know, you're not thinking to yourself, Oh, this is a class four move. You're thinking, okay, this is the challenge. Is it this rapid? Do I feel comfortable enough to run it? And sometimes you, a lot of times you're able to look at it and be like, okay, I see that line. And I see this rock. I need to go over or around, see this feature. I need to get up and over whatever it is. A lot of times, you know, you can kind of look at it and, and do it just as you visualize. And some, but sometimes like many sports things go wrong. Maybe you underestimated how big a feature was. Maybe you just don't do the right things with your paddle, whatever it is. And then that can kind of lead into a sequence of events like snowballing, basically that might not go as clean as you wanted. Maybe you go in a really dangerous spot. Maybe you end up in a feature, then then you have to come out to your kayak. So it's not like we're looking at a rapid and saying, hey, that's a class five, guys. Um, usually we're going, well, this doesn't look like a good spot. Let's do safety here. That looks like a hard feature. Let's make sure to do that right. Um, so that's what it really comes down to. That's cool. Um, can you maybe explain what the different disciplines <laughs> are in, in kayak? Um, yeah, no, for sure. So basically um a lot of different things but in the end kayaking kind of just split into a few little um different kind of categories where people kind of choose what they like to do um for the main part there's freestyle kayaking which very small very short kayak kind of like um longboard surfing versus shortboard like very small kayak um meant to play in like standing features like kind of like the end of an ocean wave when it's coming onto the beach like that kind of foam pile um, there's, we surf like little features like that, um, kind of like a, just little standing features, more technical. Um, that's where a lot of, uh, most of the competitions are, are on these small features. And, um, and then you can also surf big waves with these freestyle kayaks. You can go do combo tricks. You can surf big waves in Eastern Canada, Africa, wherever it is. You can surf really big river waves. Um, and then all that stuff in between. Then there's also, um, 
like extreme racing. Um, it's not always the hardest white water, but a lot of times, you know, there's like time trial where it's fastest time top to bottom. And okay. in some races like that, you know, there might be some gates added in, some other slalom, things like that. And then there's extreme kayaking, which a lot of people these days, it's um, definitely the, the more uh, popular side at the moment, I feel like is the extreme kayaking of really steep white water waterfalls, not necessarily big waterfalls all the time, but you can really, you know, big slide, technical, hard white water, you know, point A to point B, people running rivers. Um, that's a really popular one right now just because there's so many incredible places that you can go do that type of kayaking. And even, even if you don't want to run the biggest waterfalls, running steep kayaking, is, it's uh, really fun. Um, so those are kind of the main ones. And then there's a lot of like, you know, you can take free, you can paddle freestyle kayaks on really hard white water. If you want, maybe you want to throw tricks off a of waterfall or something. So there's a lot of little things, but that's the main thing is like freestyle kayaking, more technical, easier racing maybe. And then there's really hard extreme kayaking. So and there's a well, lot in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I feel I'm, like I'm generalizing. I'm missing something, but there's it's just a, a generalized like the great system, the entire sport, but everybody kind of finds their own niche. No, man, it's fascinating. I'm, I, you know, I'm learning here. This is uh, educational hour for me. But so, <laughs> so let's see if I, so let me see if I got this right. So you have the the freestyle part, which is according to the videos I saw. Like you'll you'll there's like a part in in like a river stream, and you're doing all these flips and jumps and and cool right tricks, right? That's the one. Yeah, and, yeah. Freestyle is the one where it's sitting in one spot, very small kayak, and doing a lot of rotations and tricks like that. And then the the one, and then the second one you said there's like it's an actual like competition, right? Like getting from point A to point B, who gets there the fastest? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, that doesn't necessarily I guess need to be in like the main um, generalization of different aspects, but um, in my mind, I don't think of freestyle competition. Like we're there are competitions for freestyle, but then we also just enjoy going to do freestyle location every now and then, especially like big waves and things like that. Um, and then there's um, extreme racing as well. But it's, it's just kind of part of running hard white water on top of that it's just there are races like there's head-to-head races but there's also where you're alone on the white water but it's fast to time and then there's the the real extreme kayaking like big, big steep slides or maybe big waterfalls things like that are any of these uh, uh like olympic sports um i also realized i didn't say big water on, on types of kayaking but I, guess for, <laughs> I think I, I feel like my mind is keeps going in between like types of kayaking types of white water um yeah i woke up too early <laughs> Should have got more sleep. Um, but uh, so there is some kayaking in the Olympics. Um, there's the um, uh, there's slalom kayaking, which um, as it sounds like some of the other sports with slalom, um, they're much um, longer. They're about I think they're still like 12 foot kayaks right now. Um, I don't know why I don't know the length off the top of my head, but basically long um, carbon kayak, um, very narrow displacement holes, um, very fast in a straight line, small boats, but they basically like any other sports, slalom, you know, fast at time, you got to go through the gates, you know, if you touch them, get a penalty, things like that. That is currently in the Olympics. I, uh, my dad did that for a long time. He went to the 92 Olympics for that. Um, I did a little bit growing up, but by the time that I kind of came around, my dad stopped doing slalom in 93. And from there, he kind of switched like fully just doing like whitewater. And so I did a little bit growing up, but never as like a pursuit. And then um, these days, a lot of my friends do it. And I, if I get the chance, I'll hop on a the boat. But it's um, it's a really cool aspect, really fun to watch. And um, I have a lot of friends that that do it. And a lot of pro kayakers actually come up through slalom because it's obviously a more, like when you hear Olympics, that's usually the first one that people, um, that's usually a great way for people to hear about it is that yeah. they're like, oh, there's slalom kayaking. And that's usually, because slalom kayaking doesn't require really hard whitewater. 
And it also, sometimes there's a whitewater park nearby. So Slalom had a lot of pro kayakers actually came up through Slalom because that's how they first started. And then they usually at some point will swap over and start doing some harder whitewater. Yeah, you, you you mentioned your dad. He's like the OG of the of the kayaking game, right? He's like one of the. Uh, he's one of the OGs. He's not like the OG OG, but he's done a lot of incredible things for the sport as well as just you know just dominated the sport for a while. Whether it was racing or freestyle, he was um the strongest competitor for sure for like a really long time. Like even into his forties, he was winning like freestyle world championships and things like that. So he. And he still, you know, competes and paddling still 50, competes? seven now. Yeah, he still competes, um, still goes strong. We still go paddling together a lot. Wow. Um, and he's still 57 years old. He's not the kind of guy that's going to believe in retirement, and I don't either. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, he uh, he did the Olympics for a while, or did fall for a really long time, and then had to switch to whitewater. He just, you know, he just not only for designing kayaks, because he worked for a few brands, design made one of the brands, like the number one brand. And then from there, he started our family company, Jack and Kayak. From there, made it the number one whitewater brand. You know, made kids kayak, kayak for all different sizes, made a lot of um, changes for when it comes to outfitting, things like that. So he's uh, done a lot of incredible things for the sport on top of dominating the sport in a lot of aspects. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I love when when there's an entrepreneur that takes a, a passion and makes it into a business, right? Yeah, there's yeah, 100%. Like, there's, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Yvonne, I always blank on his last name, but the guy who started Patagonia, he's, he was similar mm. to like a rock climber, you know, yeah. and then ended up doing Patagonia, which is it's a massive yeah. company. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's yeah, the best ahead. way to do it because you can't, well, that's the best way to do it. You gotta, you can't, um, like some people can, can hire the right people, but in the end, you gotta know what, uh, I know what you're talking about. If you're going to make some changes and, and do things that the people in sport actually want. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's always like that. The people who are usually the most successful, the other entrepreneurs that live, breathe, you know, the sport or, or the, or it doesn't even have to be the sport. It has to be the product, the service that they're doing. Like it's, it's something that they just, they love deep in their, uh, deep in their blood. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So which, um, do you compete in all the in all the the things you mentioned, like the 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 the, 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 the tricks, the point, the the competition part, the big uh, big white water rafting as well? Yeah, pretty much. I um a lot of people usually kind of find one aspect they they enjoy the most and push that one the hardest. They might go, you know, someone that just does freestyle might occasionally go and run some harder white water or come and try to do some racing. Um, but a lot of times people usually go ahead and just kind of stick to one aspect that they enjoy the most or feel that they're best at, um, which is great because, you know, if you only pursue one thing, you might, you're probably going to be really good at that. Um, I'm one of the few people that really tried to be as good as possible in all the aspects, whether it's freestyle kayaking, um, which would definitely more the stronger, like what I did the most growing up, because that's, we were living in an RV. We're constantly ending up at kayak competitions, whether it's um, West coast, East coast, Canada, wherever it was constantly a freestyle competition. And that was what my dad was um, doing the most and the strongest app for a while on top of the extreme racing. So freestyle was a big part of growing up, which really helped get me to the kayaking that I'm at today because I got really comfortable with a lot of things. But as I got a little older, I started to get more into extreme kayaking. My dad did it a lot. He didn't necessarily love like big waterfalls and things like that, especially because like 28 years ago, somebody broke his back on a waterfall. So he, just, um, and he had back pain to this day, but he never, um, not that it slowed him down much, but he just, you know, waterfalls are, are dangerous. So a lot of people like things like freestyle, something that's a little more, um, a little safer. But I try to do them all, whether it's freestyle kayaking, the racing, the head to head, 
the big waterfalls, the first descent, the expeditions. I try to be as good as possible in all of it because it's all just, it's uh, each one kind of helps each other be better, but also yeah. it just keeps it really exciting and fresh all the time because, you know, if, even if a um, couple weeks, a month, it'd be exact same thing, whether it's, you know, you do a, a month, a couple months of waterfalls, you get tired of being scared. So you're like, just going to do some freestyle just feels <laughs> great. Like just joy kayaking base or even easier whitewater. So it's definitely, I like doing it all because it keeps the whole year exciting and I never get burnt out on it. Yeah. So you, you could, you're, so you essentially, I mean, how many days out of the year, roughly, right? Not exactly, but roughly how many days are you kayaking? Uh, I think it usually, I haven't counted in a while, but I have to get back to counting, but it usually <laughs> ends up close to 300 days a year. Um, it usually, oh, that's a full year, pretty 300, much. 300, just, uh, yeah, it just takes sometimes, you know, some years are a little slower if it's a high travel year or something like that. You know, if it's a high travel year, there's all the driving. Because I drive, you know, I do five cross-country drives a year or whatever it is, whether traveling international, sometimes it takes a week to get somewhere. Like, So it usually ends up between like 280 to 300 or just over. It just depends on what I'm doing that year. Yeah. There's no like, there's no wear and tear on, on, on the body. There's no like, oh, you, you know, you need some, some rest days in between. Because most... <laughs> professional athletes, you know, they, they, they'll go hard a certain amount of time and then they'll have a couple of maybe weeks or something of rest just to let the body heal up. There's, there's, there's none of that. Right. I mean, there's, you know, there's some days you're like, man, I'm, I'm more sore. I might need to take a day off, but in the end, you know, uh, if you take time off and then go back, you're still going to be sore when you go back in because you took that break and then you go hard again, you're going to be sore again. <laughs> so I, I just try to continue kayaking. Like even, a a chill day on the water, you're not putting much use on the body and, you know, you can, um, get tired and sore, but you still can go kayaking. You just might not need to go as hard. So I usually end up having a day or two in between if I'm driving places as well, like I mentioned. So I, um, I find that the longer you continue to kayak and consistently kayak, the better your body can feel all the time rather than, you know, go hard for a week and then take three weeks off and then try to go hard for a week again. You might just end up being just sore It kind of just become the cycle. The only time that you usually end up having a few days off or like, oh man, I'm really gonna have to take a break at, you know, waterfalls, you can take some big hits and, um, you can get pretty sore from that sometimes. So you, you might need to take a day or two off after like, you know, running a hundred footer, if it doesn't, you take a big hit, but no, in the end, I just try to kayak as much as possible to keep the body feeling fresh and keep moving with it. What is, I guess the most, or I, from what I've seen, I guess, athletically though, the, 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 the tricks seem to be like the most athletic, like all, all the, the, the flips and all the different things, like, other than obviously the hands, because that's the one that kind of navigates you. And what other like muscles are you like? Is it a lot of core? Are you actually moving the legs around like inside to, to do those things? Like, how, how does it work? Uh, in the end, like you mentioned, like obviously our, our arms and our hands are doing a lot of it. But in the end, our, our shoulders and our cores are definitely really strong. Um, and basically, it's our upper half is definitely stronger than our lower half. Like we have to do a lot of, you know, um, and there are people that, that you know, purposely like try to get strong in the lower half. But in the end, you know, we might have to do 14 mile hikes in California and things like that. But I definitely wouldn't consider myself like next level strong when it comes to like my legs and things. But the upper half, like we it's definitely mostly shoulders and abs and cords because even though we're using our arms mainly with the paddle, especially when it comes to freestyle, we might use our core, but we're using our core and our legs in the boat, like you mentioned, pretty much all the time, you know, because you're pulling up on your knees or the moves you're like you're pulling up on your you're pulling on your abs with your knees. So you it's basically the top half all working together at the same time, whether no matter what aspect you're doing. 
do you do like any strength and conditioning stuff outside of kayaking? Uh, not that much, not as much, no. like, hardly at all. Really. I should just say hardly at all. Not as much people would, would imagine. I, uh, <laughs> I barely really end up at the gym. I just find that like, you know, kayaking is the, the plate. Like if I kayak a ton, I'm going to get in better shape than do better. Now, if I wanted to, I could definitely become even a little stronger, potentially a little faster in racing or just have like things get a little more improved if I wanted but in the end, I find that it's more about the more kayaking I do, the better shape I get in for kayaking. I'm working all the right muscles for kayaking while also improving technique. Um, but if I'm usually come down to if I'm with my a few of my friends that we travel together a lot, we end up in the same spot. Two of them are very much into going to the gym a lot. And so what will happen is the four of us will end up going to the gym together a lot more, especially if we go somewhere like um like Zambia, like when we go to the Zambezi, like we, we're living in one place at a hospital. We go kayaking every day for three hours. Um, cause it's just a super fun, long, big water run, but then we'll also go to the gym pretty much every other day or every day because of the gym right next door, like right down the street. So times like that, I'll go to the gym more, or if I'm, you know, back home, especially like last summer over quarantine, you know, back home in Tennessee, my family has a ranch and we have a gym in the basement. So I might spend some more time in the gym. Then I'm not looking for it. I'm not going out of my way to find those kind of things, but if the opportunity is there, I will do it sometimes. But it's not what people think. Yeah, <laughs> is there <laughs> is there a good uh, white water raft in Tennessee? Yeah, Tennessee is a really incredible spot for kayaking. There's um, a lot more than people would expect, especially for there's even like some of the more fun like big waterfalls are in Tennessee uh, in the southeast in general. Like it's really really good in Tennessee. The cool thing is, is that the reason why we moved there, like we lived in an RV full time for six years growing up but we always love going to Tennessee in the fall because it's one of the prettiest places, but also fall and the winter, you know, if it rains, there's things running. And even if there's a lot of um, rivers that are, have releases like scheduled releases, like the Ocoee and things like that. And then when it rains, there's some of the best kayaking. But on top of that, because it doesn't get, we like barely get snow in Tennessee. You can kayak basically all winter because it usually still gets some rain. Oh, okay. So that was the biggest thing is that we would travel over the most of the year. And then we were, Tennessee was a great spot to spend a few months over the winter because you can continue to kayak. And at the moment, I don't spend as much time there. It's more of like a home base to spend the holidays or reset as I travel internationally. But Tennessee yeah. has a ton of really good kayaking. Wow. So at what age i keep thinking back like i see you know those those videos where you see like this little like two-year-old on a snowboard and you're yeah. like damn in five yeah. years ten years they're gonna they're gonna kill it like i imagine something similar for you like at what age were you like literally what was the what the age that you got into a kayak for the first time i don't know i'm sure uh from the second i was born by the time like <laughs> i was right away I was, my dad put me on his lap and things like that but i i started in my own boat basically when i was two I had my first river when I was about two years old. Nothing, two years nothing old. huge, but yeah, nothing, nothing huge, but anything like that. But you know, a small, small river outside of Maryland, um, and it's uh, it wasn't the biggest white water, but yeah, I think my first river when I was two <laughs> I years mean, old. I mean, you're two. Yeah, I was two. <laughs> um, it was big for me. Um, I had a basically uh, looked similar to a slalom kayak, like a long fiberglass um, kayak called a puddle jumper, um, which very, I think it's a great name. Basically, yeah. started off in that. And then I had that boat for a while. And I mean, I did my first waterfall when I was like five. It was like this 10 foot waterfall, like a little dam on a oh. canal. And then from there, uh, I didn't end up learning how to um, roll the kayak. Like one of the first things you have to do with kayaking. And it, I'm sure it's fairly straightforward that when you flip over, you have to get a roll back up. That's going to yeah. happen a lot in kayaking. I didn't end up learning that until I was about eight. Until that point, um, I, my, if I flipped, my dad would roll me up and then we just continue down the whitewater. Or if it was too hard, he would kind of hold on to me as we go down a rapid. 
Um, and but once you learn how to roll, that's when things can really start because that's when you know you don't have to be watched all the time you're not going to swim out of your kayak like you're able to just run the white water if you flip you roll up and my sister decided that she wanted to learn how to roll when i was about eight years old she was like 11 and so from there we both learned how to roll together and then it just went from there it made it a lot easier for us to not only start kayaking more and kayak safely because when you're by yourself you don't know how to roll that can be dangerous but once you learn how to roll you can start kayaking together start working on it that surfing feature and then you also allowed us to start kayaking with my dad more and running more rivers with him because he could didn't have to watch us all the time like he's obviously taking care of us but we could actually we're good enough to run the white water with him now so is that kind of the i don't know the confidence booster you need when because if you're saying you learn how to roll you know you can get out of a tough situation you know if you roll over like you're still okay where before you might like panic oh my god i'm underwater etc cetera, etc cetera. like is that that confidence booster and you're like fuck it i can do anything now <laughs> i mean it definitely doesn't hurt you know <laughs> i mean thing is, is that like once you learn how to roll you can roll in a in the pool or in flat water but it's going to be a little different in the white water so you still got to like, gain your confidence through like getting more comfortable being upside down and, and learning how to roll up from a bunch of different positions. You know, I think it's, it's kind of the same concept as uh, like, you know, the pop-up on a surfboard or something mm. like, you know, it's, it's like, that's the first, you can't surf until you figure that part out. Yeah. And you're as your confidence grows, then you're able to work on other things because you got so much better at that first key part. So, I mean, you, you can't be a pro kayaker or go kayak unless you learn how to roll, but you also need to get really comfortable being upside down because that's going to happen to you a lot and learn how to, confidently because dude i i saw the 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 um you put out this video i can't remember the exact time maybe a year ago or something of you dropping this un unbelievably terrifying and beautiful waterfall in chile uh i think it was 134 uh foot right and yep. it, it, again like the terrifying part is obviously the whole thing is but when you're dropping there's like, I don't know, 10 seconds or 15 seconds where it seems like you're underwater and <laughs> like, how do you stay calm and, or, or, is, or are you just so used to it? It's, it's like not a big deal for you at that point. And, and maybe like uh, for people who don't know, can you maybe like set the, the, the whole groundwork for, for what happened there and, and tell that story? Um, so basically uh, what you're referring to is a waterfall I did last, uh, the start of last year called Santo Mali in Chile. It was one of the um, few waterfalls that I, I kind of obsessed over for years because I hadn't got the chance to see it in person. But every time I saw photos, it just looked um, incredible. And, and it was just one of those drops that visually it just doesn't get like much, uh, much more uh, beautiful than that one. Yeah, it's and there's a lot of things that look right about it. But the biggest thing is um, when it comes to waterfalls, like the obviously you want them to be deep. You don't want them landing on rocks. And one of the, usually a big way to know if a waterfall, a better chance of waterfall being deep. Like a lot of times you can look at a waterfall and have a really good sense if it's going to be deep because, you know, you look for certain things like, you know, obviously if there's a cave behind it, that means that it's usually clearing out and away from the wall. If there's a really, really big pool below it, you know that that uh, over time, the pool has been cleared out so that's a better chance of it being deep, not always hundred percent, but it's, it's a much better than obviously, you know, if it's in a tiny little pool, that's usually going to be shallower. But also, if there's a really big boil coming up from the waterfall, like as the water's coming back up, that usually means it's going pretty deep and then coming back up. Whereas if you see like a ton of spray right at the base of the fall, then it then sometimes means that it's hitting rocks. Oh, wow. So you, okay. those, those factors that usually come together, like you still need a, the best thing you can do is get to see a waterfall without water, scout it, maybe swim around below, things like that. And then when, the, when it rains or whatever it is, then you can go run the waterfall. But there's a lot of, there's a ton of scouting that goes into 
before you run something like Saltomale or a big waterfall. The issue with Saltomale is that it was landing in a very, very small pool and there was a ton of tiny boulders around. So yeah. visually, you're like, that looks like it should be too shallow. And I was always told uh, that, that it was too shallow from a few people that had gotten to see it. But the way how big the boil was, I was like, I think that looks runnable. So I, I decided when I was in Hawaii last year, it was like the, the levels look perfect. My friend messaged me. I was like, okay, this is the year. Let's go at least check it out. And I got to see it without water. And it was going into like this like cauldron, like a perfect like tube straight down. So from the water, because it's a dam controlled river and just upstream is the dam. So it's mm-hmm. basically runs the same flow always. So just so many years of it running the exact same flow, it's like the perfect cauldron. And so I got to see it without water and it looked vulnerable and I ended up running it the next day after the water came on. And it was incredible. I had the best line I can imagine. And we ended up measuring it after I ran it. it ended up being 134 feet, which is like the second tallest drop that had been done. And it was it couldn't have gone any better. Unfortunately, as I landed the waterfall, the thing that keeps the water out of our boat called a skirt, that black thing you see on top of the kayak, yeah, that yeah. unfortunately came off and my boat filled up with water. And even though I came out of the waterfall in my kayak, my boat was full of water. So once your boat's full of water, it's, it kayaking becomes a lot more difficult because <laughs> it's that's just so much, so much weight packed into the boat. So unfortunately, I had to come out of my boat afterwards. It wasn't 100% perfect. But in the end, with a waterfall like that, I'm just stoked how it turned out. Um, but to answer your question, like the underwater part, for the most part, um, it, luckily, a lot of the time, we don't actually end up going that deep or underwater for that long. By the time you do, that usually means that maybe you got pulled behind the waterfall, you're going somewhere there, or if you come out of your boat, you know, obviously you don't have that buoyancy of a kayak anymore. You might go a lot deeper. A lot Sometimes with waterfalls, you can either, if you go past vert, I should also clarify that the goal for a waterfall is to land as vertical as possible with the kayak and then okay. get your body as tucked up and forward as possible. If you land over the bars on your head, that's not the worst thing ever because, but what can happen is that you then eject out of the boat, which in some places that's not the end of the world, but some waterfalls, maybe there's a, a rapid right after, maybe there's a dangerous spot next to it around it that you just don't want to be out of your boat. So that can be an issue. There are times where, because waterfalls are powerful, especially high volume ones, um, I've landed and then because I kind of got pulled back into the flow, I might get ripped out of my boat or something like that, which can then happen. The worst case scenario and the one thing that usually um, that is in your mind at all times when it comes to running a waterfall, scouting it, and in the end, while a lot of people don't necessarily like running waterfalls, is that they can hurt you. They're one of the more dangerous aspects. And the one thing you don't want to do is land flat on a waterfall where the, the front of your kayak is up. And when you land flat, you got all that surface area. And so you, that's a pretty quick it's, stop. And that's it's like you landing your on your stomach, right? When you like, when you jump this yeah. mat, like on yeah. the, yeah, okay. Yeah. Exact same concept, except with that, the biggest thing that can happen is usually um, that's how people can break their back. And the crazy thing about waterfalls is that, and I've had people do that. I've been fortunate enough to, to not have that happen because I've tried my best to avoid it. Yeah. Been fortunate a few times, but the, the scariest part about waterfalls and that that concept of like what your goal is is that people have broken their backs on ten foot waterfalls. Um, and when you land flat with the front of your kayak up, it's called a boo. But like people have broken their backs on 10, 15 foot waterfalls that you know, you would, wouldn't think it would be possible, but then, uh, I've done that on by accident on like 120 footer, one of the first hundred footers I ran. And I was fortunate enough to not get hurt. And people also sometimes do like 80 footers, 80 foot waterfalls, and they, they don't get hurt. And then there's people get hurt on 10 footers. It's a, it's a crazy thing that happens. And sometimes you're like, seriously, like that's just like, it, it's, it can be a little intimidating time. But yeah. That's the main goal of waterfalls is to basically 
uh, trying to land as vertical as possible. And a lot of times you don't end up going that deep because you have a lot of buoyancy in the kayak. The water is coming back up anyway. So it depends on kind of the type of drop, whether or not you stay in your boat, things like that. So you luckily don't have to go underwater that long usually. Has the technology in, in, uh, or advancement in, uh, technology in the kayaks, like allowed you to do this? Like maybe this wasn't even, I mean, I know it's a fairly young sport, but like the technology maybe wasn't around 20 years ago and now, and, and the better and the, and the kayaks are just getting better and better, or are they pretty much have been the same since the beginning? No, kayaks have definitely improved, um, quite a bit. You might not be able to just like see it when you're, you know, just a spectator watching, but the, um, kayaks have improved when it comes to everything, whether it's racing, freestyle, extreme kayaking, whatever it is, the kayaks have improved a lot. Um, but a lot of technique has also improved a lot as people got more comfortable, you know, starting running bigger waterfalls because as people get better at doing certain things, that's when you're able to, that's when people can push each other. Like, you know, when you see someone do something or you notice they're trying something different, then you try something different and it just kind of starts the cycle of like people constantly pushing each other and learning off each other and developing better techniques. But then, you know, a hundred footer, like being someone that had run a hundred footer was absolutely next level. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was, I should say 10 years ago. I can't even, I don't know why I'm blanking on like what year exactly would be the best year to think of. I guess like 2003 to 2010, you know, it's like there's only a few people that have run hundred footers or attempted to run hundred footers. And now there's gotta be at least 30 to 40 people that have run hundred foot waterfalls. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that some of them are ready to run hundred foot waterfalls, which is one <laughs> of the unfortunate things when it comes to waterfalls and some extreme kayaking as well, but especially waterfalls yeah. is you're going to get to the bottom, no matter what, like you, you're <laughs> going to put in, you're going to go off, but you're going to get to the bottom, no matter what. So there are people that are able to just kind of fall off of it, not necessarily the most grace or technique and maybe still have a good line, yeah. but may, maybe weren't quite ready for it still. So that's the one unfortunate thing with waterfalls, but yeah, there's definitely been a, a ton of specialty technique, but kayaks are also getting a lot better in the sense that the um, kayaks are uh, much, they do a lot more for you when it comes to running harder whitewater or maybe like there's a hard rapid into a waterfall as kayaks are getting, the shapes are getting better to allow you to get through the white water with much smoother lines and much less effort and have much better the technique is getting better, but the kayaks are doing everything they can to help you to stay on top of the water. And as the designs are getting better to, to have those smooth lines, especially in harder white water, people are getting better and we're able to commit to harder white water that we might not have been able to with designs that maybe just weren't as good at staying upright or they just weren't at high volume. So you're going deeper. So yeah, there's definitely been plenty of, uh, um, advancement both in technique and also design you said that the one you did in chile uh 134 was the second well do you know what the first was yeah nice. the yeah. biggest tall yeah the tallest waterfall is um palouse falls in washington yeah it was first done in 2008 by um tyler brought which is still technically the world record it's about 186 feet it's a Ooh. really incredible waterfall and wow. that was and at the time the craziest thing is that you know 100 foot has gotten um, more like more standard as more people have run hundred footers in the last like couple of years, especially, but then that was a huge jump up. Like he also had the world record for a waterfall, previous waterfall, Alexandra falls in Northwest territory. He ran, um, that the year before and had the world record on that. It was 107 feet, which was still a really big deal. And then it was like next year he went and ran Palouse falls and it's 186 feet. And that, waterfall it, it really did not get much better than a water like for a waterfall that size and yeah. it 
flat water above, flat water below, the top of the waterfall. When it comes to waterfalls, the biggest thing you really want to look for, is, and it's very obvious when you when you look at it, at least a kayaker, I don't know what it's like for a non-kayaker, but waterfalls generally, you try to you hope that there's kind of like a nice roll to them, whereas waterfalls that are like flat to vert, like a tabletop, um, when it's just like flat to vert, you know, flat coming in and the lip is just dead vertical, like the edge of a table, kind of like, you know, something like Niagara Falls, where it's just flat to flat, those kind of waterfalls are much harder to have a good line a lot of the time because when you go over the lip, when it comes to waterfalls, you only have that split second to basically determine how the rest of the waterfall is going to go. Yeah. You know, if the front of your kayak starts coming up right at the lip, you don't, you can't really save it. Um, so you only have that first, like, like split second at the top of the waterfall to kind of determine how the rest is going to, if it's going to go well or not, you can make slight adjustments, but it all really comes down to that crucial split second. So we look for, hopefully a lot of waterfalls are best if they roll for a little while. So that way it really allows you to slowly set your angle. No, like, aggressive movement um in an ideal world and Palouse falls literally like the first like 30 feet it just sets your angle perfectly at like 60 70 degrees i haven't been there in person but it like just this perfect angle and then the falls the rest of the way you get nice and covered in the flow which is like also really nice and there's a huge pool below a bit some space behind the drop like it just did not get much better when it comes to a waterfall that size and he still had the world record but actually a few more people have actually run that drop since then uh, Rafa Ortiz did the second ascent. Unfortunately, didn't stay in his boat, but still just running and insane. And then um, uh, Knox Hammock and James Mizu, they ran it two years ago now. And so there's already been a few people on this drop, and it's a massive drop to run. It's, it's pretty sick looking. Are you looking to do it? I always go back and forth. The biggest thing for me, the hardest part for me to want to do it, one, you know, you only, you know, running hundred footers and stuff like that is definitely not something forever. Like I'm going to kayak forever, but you know, hundred foot waterfalls, you know, at a certain point you want to maybe just get tired of being scared or, yeah. and you know, there's a ton of risk when it comes to them, no matter how good you get there, you can have a perfect line and things can still maybe go a little weird because it's waterfalls have a lot of risk. I really like the look of it. Unfortunately for me, the biggest thing is, and it's and super badass that those guys have done it. I just, it's a little too like you're not doing very much to set your angle to to determine if you have the best line possible. It's there's definitely a little you can do, but it's such a high volume and you're basically just going 30 feet, like already setting your angle. You're not going over that lip and doing a, a ton of things with your paddle. Uh, so it's I it's a little I don't simple is not the best word to use. I feel like with non tigers <laughs> but like it it's super incredible that they did it. It's super badass, and it would be amazing to do. I just wish I had to do a little more on the drop to determine how well it's going to go for me. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it could be really fun to do. But I think by that point, I'd rather, especially now after the four people have done it, I think I'd rather find like I'd rather t if I want to go that big, try to find that next like might as well try to go a little bigger. You know, like try to yeah. get the world record or something. Um which isn't necessarily what my goal is. I'd rather do a ton of kayaking than maybe one big moment, but things change. Maybe I'll see that perfect drop and, and be like, you know what, that's it. But definitely not pursuing the world record. But I think by that point, I'd rather save myself for one, that one big drop, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Do you think, because I see this with with all the the kind of outdoor adventures, right? Like uh, you see Alex Honnold, like he, how he pushes the the envelope and, and does these amazing things, uh, free soloing uh, LCAP. Yeah. And you see this with, yeah. base, with, with base jumpers, right? They'll go and they'll find these amazing mountains to jump off. And um, I don't know, surfers, uh, big, all those massive waves in Portugal that are like frightening as fuck. But um, all the, yeah, everyone's, 
Bro, there's humongous, dude. You can't even see the human. Like you're like you have to like you know yeah, zoom exactly. in. It's so big. Yeah. Um, and I think the 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 uh, the I forget the, the her name Maya something. I think she broke a, a world record uh, this year or last year. Yeah, um, uh, I know. It left, yeah, it's the world record wave for for when she is Nazare, right? I think. Um, yeah, I forget uh, Brazil, her Brazil, right now, Brazilian yeah. girl, Brazilian girl. I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Either way, badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, badass. completely badass. Um, yeah. But 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 I guess my point is just like the envelope is always being pushed in in all these different sports. It's always like, okay, what's the what's the next biggest? What's the baddest? What's the most dangerous thing? Or how can yeah. we do this in the shortest amount of time? That's what's happening with mountaineers, right? Like everyone's trying to climb Everest to yeah. be the first to do that thing in in the way that they've done it. Like, do you see this true for kayaking? Do you see like, okay, now we've done a hundred or a hundred footers. Eh, a hundred footers is like, okay, like let's try 200. Let's try 300. Like, do you see that yeah. keep progressing in that, in that direction? I definitely, there's no doubt that kayaking is, is, is progressing. And it's always, uh, when, especially when it comes to what's being done with waterfalls and not only just waterfalls though, but also the size of white water, like the rivers that are getting run, the rapids that are getting run are some of the biggest that, that people have ever seen. On top of that, you know, not only are waterfalls, as techniques are getting better and people are getting better at running big waterfalls, you know, it's not going to be long until someone sees and wants to do that, that next record drop or maybe they'll find something in between the Salta Malay drop and the world record at the moment. So there's um, a lot of like hiking still progressing very hard when it comes to stuff like that. Also, you know, even with like freestyle, you know, big waves, you know, people are getting better at linking tricks together. Like that's the one thing I always try to do is find different combos that can link tricks together on big waves. But the one thing that's definitely starting to take hold right now, and I'm, I don't know if it's a trend is the right word, but basically one thing that's going down a lot right now is, and something that people might not have thought of as things that can become a technique, but it's a freestyle trick off of waterfall. Now they've, they've always been around and they've always like, where it's where you do like tricks off of the drop itself rather than just running it just straight. Jeez. Um, and the biggest thing is it's been around for a long time and there's been people like over the years, you know, rest surges or, you know, people back in the, even the nineties, people were doing stuff off waterfall. So it's not necessarily a new thing. And there's a lot of people that were pushing the envelope when it comes to trying things like that, especially, uh, as, um, especially as waterfalls got bigger, people started throwing tricks off of some crazy drops. Yeah. But right now what's happening um, mainly between a few of us is we're starting to realize that there is a little bit more technique and control, especially for myself, starting to realize that there's more control with some of these tricks off of waterfalls than I expected. And initially, like I, I, as things have come to me, I haven't started kayaking saying, I'm going to start kayaking here. and I want to just do this like everything kind of comes to me at a point of when I feel strongest to do it. And over the last few years, I've started to do more tricks off of waterfalls. I normally don't like that. I don't like doing tricks off of waterfalls because they don't, a lot of times they don't allow you to land in a very good position. It's a, it's a really good way to potentially get hurt because waterfalls are already pretty dangerous in the dangerous, first place. Yeah. But um, over the last few years, um, as I've seen other people try some stuff as well, especially this other kayaker, Annual Sarah Solstice, he's been not only one of the top kayakers of all time right now, he's also, uh, been big in the downriver freestyle when it comes to doing stuff off of waterfalls yeah um and he's obviously gotten inspiration from other people but as i watched him over the years doing some crazy stuff i was like well that's pretty incredible but over the last few years we both of us i feel like have done a lot of stuff off of waterfalls and we're starting to um notice that there's definitely a little more control if you figure out the technique and i'm touched with myself i want to 
definitely start doing them off a bigger drop because I'm starting to realize, okay, I actually have a lot more control, not a lot of control, but more control than I thought. I think I can start bringing it to bigger waterfalls. Like this year, I did what's called a back free well, just one vertical land. You go, go off a drop backwards, you do one vertical land, and then you come around, try to land vertical. I did that off of like a 75 foot drop this spring onto Haley Falls. Normally, that's like, that's like no one's done it off a drop that size. And I still think that's probably potential to go bigger. Mm-hmm. But um, on top of that, off this 30 foot drop, I realized I could start doing these flips that normally I uh, would be scared of hurting myself on. I started to notice that I could do it really in a lot of control. And I did like six laps on that drop doing the same trick. Realized that like I have more control than I expect. And through that, I've been doing them on other waterfalls and bigger drops. And I think that's going to keep progressing for me because I'm starting to notice that I can figure these things out more than I expected. And like I mentioned, in, in El Solstice, he did uh, a project over the winter in Chile where he did. Um, a lot of incredible things, super cool project, but he also um, did a double rotation off of a waterfall where to did the two kickflips off of a drop, which that's actually like basically the first, like people have done it off of ramps and things like that, but that's basically like the first double rotate. It is the first double rotation like that off of a waterfall. It's like a 50 foot drop. He also did a backflip off of it, which wasn't the first one of that, but still a huge drop to do it off of. So yeah. I think that's a, um, and it's something that's exciting right now. It's definitely seeing what, especially between the two of us, what, kind of going down with stuff off of waterfalls. And I think that'll definitely stick around for a minute. Dude, how do you, cause I, you know, I, I I've seen a, f- a few people ask and it's not only you that any professional athlete that does, um, you know, dangerous things, they'll always say like, aren't you scared? And I, I don't believe that. Like you don't even have to answer. I'm sure there's like fear. Cause it's just fear is just a, a human. It's, it's just, it's, yeah. it's human and we all have it. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a fighter going into a fight in the UFC or a kayaker or a big man, like fear is just, it's, I think it's actually healthy, but like, how do you, yeah. but, but I guess the question is, how do you overcome? Cause I'm sure you do have that. What's that mental battle. And, and it's because, you know, okay, I have the technical chops. Like I can, I can do this. And I'm sure that's part of it, but like, what's that mental battle that, especially like something like the 134 foot waterfall or maybe some other big ones, how do you handle that? or overcome it? Uh, yeah, basically the biggest thing is, you know, people always just assume that we're not scared, but that's, and there might be some people that try to say they're not scared, but in the end, I'm scared by way more than people think. Probably on whitewater, I have no reason to be scared on, but I'm scared basically all the time on the water, whether it's, um, there are times I'm not scared, but there's always that, you know, just a little bit there. But the biggest thing for me, especially when it comes to big waterfalls, you know, I'm, I'm obviously super scared, but the biggest thing is just, uh, not only do I, I have a lot of, faith and trust in myself to make the right decision. Not, I was fortunate enough when I was growing up to have people tell me like, no, you're not actually ready. Or they would, that had a lot of like good mentors, like between my dad, but also a lot of people I got to kayak with. So I had a lot of people that um, did the best job of like either telling me no when I wasn't ready or making me understand why I wasn't ready. Or so I had, I really trust my decision making when it comes to running a rapid because I'll usually look at it in a lot of different ways. So yeah. even if I'm scared, I know that I've, given it it's true like being scared just means that i understand that there's risk to this and i and i'm making the decision despite that therefore i'm probably doing it for the reason that i feel really comfortable with myself to do it but on top of that i try to make sure i'm having as much fun as possible because i find that you know it's if i'm scared you know it's a lot of people think that means you're not having fun but in the end i try to focus on making sure that I'm having as much fun as possible throughout every aspect of everything, whether, you know, before a competition, before a big waterfall, whatever it is, I'm making sure to have as much fun as possible, not only on the water, but off the water, whether, you know, talking with safety, hanging out with my friends, 
driving to the river, whatever it is. I don't like shut down and say, no one talk to me. I don't want to talk to anyone. I make sure I'm talking to everyone, having as much fun as possible, getting hyped because um, by having as much fun as possible leading up to that big moment, whether it's a waterfall or event, I know I'm actually in like, I'm actually just having fun and I'm enjoying the whole experience rather than just focusing on that one big moment. So by enjoying that whole buildup, if the waterfall goes great, it's even that much better. Or if the competition goes great, it's that much better because I'm enjoying the whole thing rather than just looking at that one victory. And if it goes wrong, then I still am going to be content with it because I know that I was not only enjoying myself, but I also know that I looked at something objectively and understood the risk I was taking and made sure when I look at it, like I actually trust myself to do this right. And if it goes wrong, sometimes that can happen. I'm still content with it because I made, I made sure that I trusted my decision, but also enjoyed myself leading up to it. And that's usually what it comes down to for me. is just the whole aspect, the whole experience, making it all enjoyable. So that way that one moment is worth it, whether it goes good or bad. So you don't like obsess about it, get into your own head about the whole thing. Like you try to just enjoy the moment, be with friends, laugh, like almost get outside of your own body and not think about it. And that way, like, there's like, oh, there's almost like less tension when you get to the actual moment, right? Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's if by making it that exciting um, all the way up to the moment that I'm, you know, dropping off the lip at the waterfall, it's by keeping it that fun. It's, it's just that, well, if you're not enjoying yourself up to that point, what's the point? Like, yeah. if you're not having fun with it, like, it's good to take it seriously and it's good to like, look at all the risks and make sure you're making, looking at something objectively. But if you're not, enjoying yourself or if you're not thinking to yourself this looks like something really fun to do and that looks like something i really want to experience that might mean you're probably just doing it for the wrong reason maybe it's you know you want to just be able to say that you ran this one really popular waterfall whatever it is so it's it's very easy to sometimes like get distracted by that but for me i just find that i uh, always look at something objectively i have no problem walking away from something if i don't feel comfortable with it i think i walk by I don't walk that much anymore because I get, I usually get to a lot of things. And even if everyone else is walking, that's, I don't run it because I want to be the only one to run it, but I usually run it because I, I see often see a line where maybe some people wouldn't see, or they don't feel it comfortable to run where yeah. I always take the time to actually look at something objectively. And, and these days I feel like very rarely do I get to something and not think that I can pull off a line. I might still say no after I see a line, but very rarely do I get to something and not think, oh, there's, that looks like something I could do, or I see the line there, then make the decision from there. So I guess that, that, that was what, what I was going to ask you next. What is, are there rivers that, or maybe not even necessarily rivers because they change based on the time of year, but are there maybe conditions where you're like, Nope, absolutely not. Like you look at the river and maybe it was just like, it was raining for a week or it's too volatile and too violent or, or something. And you're like, Nope, absolutely not. I'm not doing this. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, things changed conditions are different, but it also, um, types of rivers can, uh, change, you know, some rivers are really big and wide, massive white water. And then some rivers are super narrow and sometimes narrow is fine. And sometimes things are really clean, but sometimes narrow, with a bunch of little boulders might mean that there's more sieves and bad places end up under rocks. So all rivers are different. And it, like a river can be really, really good with a good amount of water and absolutely terrible with no water and too dangerous. So it, it really just depends on what type of river you're dealing with, the type of white water. And like you said, the condition based on water level and things like that. So it, it's completely 100% just depends on where you're at, the type of rivers you're dealing with and your skill level and comfort on stuff like that. 
but you've stepped away. Like you've looked at some things and been like, that's, it's, it's not, that's not right. I'm, there's no reason to go inside. Yeah, no, that can happen. That happens all the time. You know, they might be like, you okay. know what? It's, it's just too high to go in today. Let's go to a different river. And like, you know, if you're somewhere like Mexico and it rain, like it rains super hard, it might be too high to go to one of the more committing gorges that has this one rapid or waterfall that you just can't run with high water or it's just too dangerous. So then maybe you go run something else that you maybe were waiting for rain for or things like that. So, it, and, um, and some rivers, you know, you might go to, um, you might go to a, a, a super popular river. You can run the entire run, but there might be one rapid that just doesn't look good, but you're still getting the whole river. So yeah. it just, um, like I said, it really depends on all the different levels, the type of white water where you're comfortable with, but there's definitely plenty of times as kayakers where we got stuff where it's like, Nope, that today is not the day. Maybe there isn't a line. Maybe it's just too sketchy. You don't feel like risking your life over it or things like that. Or just maybe that's not the day because the levels weren't right. You need to come back another time. Yeah. It happens I, all the time. I get it. Um, are there, you know, I, I keep using this example. Mountaineers, <laughs> like they always have like um, first ascents, right? Like, oh, everyone's yeah. trying to get that first ascent. Are there, yeah. is there an equivalent in, in kayaking, like this Holy grail that, that maybe either people are trying to get, or no one's got yet. And they, they want to something along those lines. Um, there's, I wouldn't say that there's like one particular thing because, you know, um, there might be famous rapids that people, uh, know about that haven't necessarily been done. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say there's like one thing, you know, there's not necessarily the like free solo L cap kind of thing where you like, you know, exactly that thing. And so I wouldn't say that there's like one thing like that. And the thing is, is that there might be, uh, maybe there's a 200 footer that someone's got their eyes on that. I haven't heard about things like that. There might be something like that going on, but I wouldn't yeah. say that there's like, we're just waiting for the day that someone runs this rapid. There are some rapids that are like that i wouldn't i wouldn't say there's like the holy grail of one but there's you know um a couple times i'll hear that there's hey there's this section that's really really good you should go check it out and there's one rapid that's never been done you would probably run it you should go check it out things like that like that kind of stuff we'll hear and a lot of times you might go somewhere completely new and run something that people wouldn't have thought would that people would want to run things like that so it's, it's more about you hear about these little things all over the place or you travel somewhere like, I don't know, Brazil, Mexico, whatever it is. And your only goal is to go find new stuff and first ascent, run an entire new section, maybe first ascent that's hundred footer you've seen photos of. So there's, there's a lot of little stuff scattered all over the world and yeah. big stuff, but I wouldn't say there's like one Holy grail thing, at least nothing that comes off the top of my mind. And I mean, I guess do, this is again, and an, from a novice perspective, do rivers change in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of uh, hydro work, right? There's dams, there's uh, maybe sometimes they close off rivers, whatever it is. Like, could there, are there rivers that maybe were around five years ago that don't exist now? Or maybe are there rivers that are twice as strong because they merged due to, you know, dams and, and yeah. whatever else that, that work that they're doing? Uh, 100%. Unfortunately, now there are some dams in like the US and things like that, where because there's, it's dammed, you know, we might get more releases throughout the year than if we were just worried about rainfall versus, um, like having scheduled releases or something. Uh, but unfortunately dams are, are very, especially these days, I I'm, could be completely wrong on that, but basically, yes, 100%, um, dams are, are very prominent. Um, and unfortunately there's, 
uh, often a lot of dams that are getting put in for absolutely no reasons or just reasons that just don't make any sense. Like, like it's not even like for, from a business perspective in terms of making money for the area, it's not even yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Dams, unfortunately sound the biggest thing is, um, especially China, like on a mission to build as many dams as possible. It seems like, really? like they're going all over the world with dams. Yeah. It's just like, for the most part, when we hear a big dam being built, it's usually come from China. It seems like now people might like that. A lot of times it usually sounds like it comes from China Not and a surprised. few of the dams that I've dealt with, or a lot of times we'll make, we'll make, yeah, we'll make petitions. Like there'll be a, a famous river that people love to go experience. There'll be like, Oh, there's a dam project coming. A lot of times it's sign petitions and sign forms. And sometimes like kayakers have rallied behind and be able to stop some projects from happening. And there are um, corporations that also stop dams. Um, like there's a, um, company called American Whitewater, where they not only will do their best to spread the word and fight things like that, but they also are the ones that go to dams and get scheduled releases for kayakers and things or raptors, or just like there might be a river that never runs. They will go and get it to work out where they actually start releasing multiple times a year, things like that. But dams, unfortunately, these days, like I, uh, they're getting built a lot, or at least they're getting fought a lot. You know, there's a, a river that was. Um, in Austria that my friends live at that they're, they're building a dam right now and they didn't even go through the legal ways to do it but yeah. because everyone was locked down in COVID they just were like all right we're going to do it and they sent it without even going through the right like legal process but they're still going through with it because things like that um, and the um, the most prominent uh, dealing that I've had with the dam is that they're the uh, everyone's heard of the Nile obviously in mm -hmm. Africa um, the Nile River in Uganda there's a section of whitewater there that is absolutely incredible. And no, there's no crocs or anything on it. That Those are all gone from there. Everyone always assumes that there's dangerous animals there. There's also no crocs on the damn BD for those that want to know, um, at least in the section you run below the I, I would assume that thing. Is, I would assume that yeah. as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's totally understandable. There are sections that have it, but not, not where we go. But thought I'd get that out of the way so you're not flooded with questions on that. Yeah. Um, but no, so the, the Nile River in Uganda... Um, there is a section of whitewater there that not only is really incredible, big, fun, um, big whitewater, um, really fun, rapid, but it also had a few of the it's best, a few of actually the best freestyle waves that you can surf, um, like standing waves. So it was a really incredible spot to go spend the winter because not only would you get fun whitewater, get to be in Africa, living in this incredible spot, but the, you would also go and you could really progress your freestyle hiking on waves. Like I definitely a huge part of how good I am on um, when it comes to freestyle waves is because I would go almost every winter to this river. And the coolest part is that we, what we used to do is that there used to be an island that you could live on that was literally just next to this rapid that had one of the best freestyle waves in the world. So you would live on an island for a month or so, just surfing a couple times every day, hang out on an island, enjoying the sunshine at form, and it's incredible. But unfortunately, so what happened is that there was the day one section and day two section because it was a pretty long river. The day one section in 2007, or the 2007, the first dams got put in right, right after about 2007. And they put it right into this, like basically one of the best waves in the world. And so they put the dam in there, which these dams are not very big. They, they Dams always sound really good on paper and to town because they're like, they're giving us this much money and this many jobs. Mm -hmm. But when dams are done, the damage they do to the area and the local community, on top of the fact that they usually don't provide much afterwards, the, the amount of money that they cost to maintain and do, usually it's some, a lot of times it's over what they actually like the output is a lot of times they're very useless dams. Like they don't actually benefit anyone except for that first paycheck always sounds so good. 
Yeah. But then it only takes like a hundred people to maintain a dam after, and yeah. then the damage is done in the area. So they basically they built a dam in that one rapid, got rid of one of the best waves. There was still you could still run that section, but then in 2011 they finished the second part of the dam that flooded the entire section. So like one incredible like world class famous section of whitewater was completely gone basically. And now, because it, that's all flat water, like the, the lodge we used to live at, not the island, but that other lodge, you would look out at amazing white water. Now it's flat water. But because they built that dam and, and made that flat water, mosquitoes and malaria became worse because instead of white water, it became flat. It's a better spot for them to, like, you know, do things like that. But then what sucks is that they built those dams. You know, it sucks. They got rid of that section. But luckily, we have the other one, that yeah. famous way I'm talking about, like one of my favorite ways in the world, lived on the island. They actually just finished a dam a few years ago that flooded that whole section except for one or two rapids but they flooded the island and they flooded that wave that i absolutely love but that dam it was like not only is it not built to last only meant to last like 50 years it flooded like it had to like a bunch of people had to move they flooded around the river and it's not only the cost to build insane cost to maintain is insane but also the amount of energy output is like way 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 below any reason to ever possibly do that yeah and like, if I mean, it's way below. So it's um, and I'm sure I'm like just skewing a little, like I just it's like I I don't know all the facts. A lot of people know a lot more like facts. I just know that they they're just they don't have a lot of base. Like they're they're just not they're not as much. But people when we explain to non kayakers like these dams are completely useless. They think we're just saying it because the um because we don't want to see our whitewater go away, which is true. But we also realize that like these dams just don't actually benefit the local community by the yeah. time they actually have any energy output. And a lot of times that energy doesn't even go to the people in the area. And there's not even that much job. They've flooded areas and they, they've kayakers stopped coming. That's less tourism. And there's actually another dam that's about to be built right now, which is so dumb. And that is a dam on the Zambezi, you know, Victoria Falls, yeah. like one of the wonders of the world. That whole section below is like, um, now that the Uganda section, I don't really go to now, there's still white water. Still a couple of places to kayak, but the reason I went was for that island and wave. Don't go there anymore. But now I go to the Zambezi, which I love going to anyway. But now that's kind of like my like big water, warm, go paddle in the winter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I used to go spend like a month there. Victoria falls down, one of the most incredible rafting sections in the world, but especially for kayaking, just incredible big water. So much fun. Like there's no place like it. They're actually building a dam on that river, which it should start this uh, next spring. And it should be done in about six to seven years. But what's super like sucks so much is that that dam is massive and it's going to back up pretty much the entire river up to the falls. It literally like, and I have a feeling they're going to mess it up and probably go all the way to the falls because they're yeah. trying to do like six, I forget, I have it all like written down, but like 62 kilometers or something like that. And they're trying to have it come within like, I think it's like three quarters of a mile of the falls. But it's just such a big river. Like I know there's a lot of people that have the science and everything, but like that it's i just don't see how they can control up to that little point i bet it'll go all the way to the falls but regardless tourism is zambia's second biggest source of income so when it comes to um yeah i believe it's second second biggest source of income i forget what's number one but especially in that area that's all the rafting and kayaking and and just seeing the falls and seeing the river like all of that is it's like 100 like that they need that and if they dam all that white water they're going to lose a huge chunk of that and it's really sad to see but the craziest part is that that people hear the dam they hear the job they hear the money for the local that power doesn't even go to the two countries that it's bordering because it's between zimbabwe and zambia i feel like i'm hearing all these like i, I know a lot of facts I just, <laughs> sometimes i gotta make sure when i talk fast i'm like okay i'm saying the right one so 
yeah, I, I just, I'm just like, okay, yeah, that sounds. <laughs> um, uh, now, if I just talk really talk fast and I sound smart, um, no, but I, uh, it is uh, Zimbabwe and Zambia. The thing is that that dam that's being built, if I read it correctly, it's not even going to the country that it's connecting because they're both going to produce power. It's like a, it's a freaking like 600, 500 foot dam or something. It's massive. And they both are going to have um, produced power on both sides because that was the biggest thing with trying to figure out who was going to get that power. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure it's split, if I remember correctly. But the biggest thing is that if I read it right, it that the power isn't even going to those two countries. It's going to a collective, I think it's called the um, the Africa Power Pool or something like that. So okay. they don't even get the power. And obviously China gets some of it too, because this is China, a Chinese yeah. dam. Yeah. Um, but it's like, they don't even like get the power. So it's like, like by the time it's like, oh, but it's creating power for the local area. It's like, it's not. And once it's done, it's like, it's, it's yeah, it's a pretty frustrating dam because it, it's a very uh, um, useless one. Like it really makes no sense at all. No matter how it sounds sound on paper, it, it doesn't make any sense. And that's definitely one we're trying to get stopped, but we'll see what happens. Unfortunately, I don't think it'll get stopped. I'm just going to go there as much as possible over the next six years. Yeah, especially if China is backing, because China, I know that they have their hands all over Africa. That's that's kind of where they're, they're they're putting all their investments. They're giving them a lot of money and they're taking stake in companies. They're taking, they're, they, have, they actually own certain areas in Africa. Just yeah. by giving them the money, and you know, Africa, it's 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 resource rich, but it's it has it lacks there's a lot of corruption, it lacks good governance, and and they have a lot of problems. So China's definitely taking advantage of that. Um, yeah, I, I you know, for me, when I the damn situation, like like you said, it sounds good on paper. Forget that it's such an eyesore. It's just when you see like this beautiful natural place when you see a river and you see the the water flow and then you see this ugh, this eyesore in the middle of it yeah. it's just it's yeah. but on top of that it's just like we keep thinking we're we know nature better than nature knows itself right and then we fuck with yeah. the ecosystem and we you know we mess with the migration of of of, of the fish and whatever where, where they're supposed to lay their their eggs and all that stuff and then the other animals that use the, the the river for i don't know migrating patterns or that's where they drink or that's where they get their food whatever it is there's an ecosystem built. And once we mess all these other things, you know, there's compounding effects, but yeah. it's, it's, uh, yeah. And then this, ha- it's not only in river, right. This happens with a lot of others. Like, and again, I'm yeah. not like anti-progress. I, I want progress. I want yeah. people to have jobs and all that stuff, but right. there's better ways to do it. Like that's, it's, this isn't the yeah. only way. Yeah. And damn, damn, the only, the ones that are being built aren't even like long-term dams. They're like meant to like last like 50 years, which sounds long, but it's really not when it comes yeah. to the cost to build dams like this. Um, and then they like blow them up, right? Just, uh, yeah. There's better ways. You yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that the one in the Nile might even already have, be having issues like cracking and things like that. So it's like the craziest, um, uh, and the thing is that a lot of these dams, like, you know, I think maybe they're built better back in the day. I don't know what it was, but, um, uh, the the dam the other dam that's on the the Dambivi, but it's up in uh um in Tebe where the uh really should I should have woke up a little earlier um, maybe I should have <laughs> Dude, woke up you, you woke up um, early man we started this what seven a.m. your yeah, time in California yeah, um, in the West Coast sorry not California <laughs> yeah um, but yeah no so I uh but that dam I want to say it's in Tebe I don't know why I'm like it's not in Tebe but I'm blanking on it right now anyways the dam on the river. Yeah. Uh, and if that dam blows the amount of water that's going to flow and it's got cracking, like they actually are like, like 
I forget what the number was. It was like 10 or 20 years or maybe something like that overdue on checking the dam and fixing it. Because if that thing were to break, it's going to take out like all like everything downstream. And then I think I'll I forget which city it would end up in, but it's like a city of like a hundred thousand people or something like Jesus. maybe more. It would like wash out that city because they're all on the river. So like a lot of these dams, like if they would ever break, um, like there's a dam, my friend of mine has a, I'm pretty sure a Ted talk on this. And I, I really wish I'd, um, I need to watch it again, but I'm pretty sure there's a dam in China. I think it's in China. I forget where it is, but if I'm pretty sure that if it were to ever break, it has mm-hmm. so much weight behind it that if it were to break, it would, shift the access that the earth spins on because of how much water it's holding back it would like do really? something like that if it were to ever break yeah i i need to double check on that i not um but i'm like like very confident that there's there's i forget which dam it is but it holds back so much water that if it would ever break it would shift like i don't mean a sentence like a spiral but yeah, it would yeah, just yeah. slightly like change the, like what we've been on um i think her name is haley stewart she yeah. had a ted talk on it she has a lot um if if you want to fact check me and like double check what I'm saying, <laughs> yeah. I um, been a while. We might have, we might have to it. listen to that TED talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's, she had she talks all about like the dams in Uganda and okay. dams in China. Basically, the whole thing is about dams and good, bad, a lot of info on them. And um, like I know some things, but I, uh, sometimes when I'm talking fast, I'm like, wait, is it this one or that one? But um, <laughs> I definitely know something. I don't like. I hate it when I back it. Like just like go deep and it's like this is what it is and this is what it is. I'm like. Sometimes just don't don't go hard in the back. Oh, no, I'm, I'm the same. Like, because especially when you're like passionate about something, you want to you want to give the best you know information out there. But sometimes yeah. you're like, oh shit, like I you know I, I didn't prep for this. Like I don't remember the exact details of every little thing <laughs> yeah. that I yeah. like. I know the overarching story. I know that I know I know yeah. the narrative. Yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. But there's uh yeah, unfortunately, there's better ways to do it than dams. Much better yeah. ways, at least these days. Well, dude, before before I let you go, I uh, when I was um, when I was googling your name in uh, in YouTube or not googling, I guess YouTubing your name. I don't know what the exact uh, phrase is, but regardless, <laughs> I found a video of of your friend. Uh, <laughs> this is I found this story hilarious, but you could probably tell it better. Essentially, you guys were like going downstream, and you lost your phone doing some tricks, and then you guys <laughs> ended up going yeah. back finding the phone, which yeah. I was, I, 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 you know, I was not optimistic about you finding your phone halfway through. So <laughs> good, <laughs> right. good for I'm you. I'm not going to blame you. <laughs> but like, can you tell that um, story? Cause I thought it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, basically. So my, uh, um, at the base of the video title, is called Dane Jackson's an idiot. So feel free to go watch it if you want, um, <laughs> which is a very, uh, very accurate statement. I'm luckily I'm pretty good at kayaking cause I'm, I'm definitely a bit of an idiot a lot of the time. Um, but, uh, no, so you're, you're too I'm harsh a, on yourself. Of mine, um, <laughs> um, a few friends of mine, uh, uh, the one that made those videos, uh, two, uh, there's four of us that travel together. I have a lot of people I travel with, but four of us have a company together called Send, where basically we not only make like apparel and shirts and things like that, but we also, um, it's kind of the brand that we put our project behind. Like we make videos, we do photos, things like that. Um, but the two of them, my friends, uh, Adrian Matter and Brent Orton, they're, uh, um, they've been kind of together for a long time. They, uh, started a YouTube channel called senders and, okay. um, basically like blog, things like that. And I also do YouTube, but I definitely, they started doing it. And I was like, well, that's sick. I should start doing that too. So they do a lot of YouTube videos. And one thing that, um, that particular friend, Brand that made the video, he's very, they're very good at shit talking. Obviously we're very good at shit talking each other <laughs> as friends. Um, but I, I definitely give them a lot more opportunity because I can be an idiot. And what I did basically was, and I've, I've done this multiple times, unfortunately, 
And I'm really glad you brought this up. It's the best thing I wanted to talk about. None of my accomplishments, but basically with our life jackets, there's like a little, um, uh, you can obviously like we're wearing our life jackets and sometimes I'll pull my phone out, you know, shoot some social media or something. Maybe I need to, um, like get a shot for our Instagram or things like that, get a yeah. shot for our send Instagram. And, um, I put my phone in the, in between myself and the life jacket and then forgot about it. Cause I probably needed to pick up my normal camera and I forgot about it there. I did the whole rapid, which is a really big rapid, you know, big water, springtime Canada did the whole rapid, did a bunch of tricks on the way down and then got out on the other side of the river, did the rest of the day. And then when I got back to my RV, I realized I was like trying to find my phone everywhere. And I unfortunately pretty quickly realized that I knew exactly what I did, which is stick it in that little like pocket, but not all the way in. But somehow the phone managed to stay in my life jacket. Even though I, I don't even mean in my life jacket, like a pocket, like just sitting like braced up against me, like kind of like, like in a sweatshirt pocket or yeah, something, yeah. like not really in anything, just kind of sitting there and half out. Somehow it managed to stay in during the whole rapid. But then when I realized that I was like, okay, I have to, like, we did find my iPhone, which was my friend, my German friend's idea, which he's a lot uh, more forward thinking when it comes to things like that. He's like, let's do find my iPhone. And we found the signal, or at least it was the last signal. And we're like, it was so close to the edge of the water. We're like at the bottom of the river and that's the last signal or is it on the side? So we ended up at dark, having to put back in and run this huge white water in the dark. And after about like 20, 30 minutes of walking around the side, somehow we managed to find it, which at the time I realized I should stop using black phone cases um, just for this reason, <laughs> but um, ended up finding it on the side somehow. But the dumbest part is that, and it was great. I'm so glad I found it. But the dumbest part is that I've made that mistake before uh, when I, cause I like to listen to music before um, big competitions or things mm -hmm. like that. I was listening to music during the 2015 Freestyle World Championship. I was getting ready for my round, but just listening to music and I stuck it in my life jacket. Like, I think at one point I just decided I need to stop wearing wireless headphones when I'm getting psyched and wearing my gear yeah. um, because I stuck it in my life jacket. I went in my competition, realized that I lost my phone. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I lost my phone in the water. That sucked. And then I borrowed my mom's phone so that way I could listen and keep listening to the music. I ended up losing her phone either that day or the next day too. And I just get so distracted. Um, so I, I think hopefully this is the last time I ever make that mistake because you know yeah. three times a charm. Yeah, you need you need to buy some insurance, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's cheaper than the phone. Yeah, right. Now the fact that you found it. Uh, yeah, that's that's I was I, I don't know how that happened. That phone was miraculously somehow on the side. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's surprising that's where it could have worked out yeah right you haven't well, let it down though dude this was a lot of fun man appreciate it dude thanks for having me it's been a, been a hot minute since i got to hop on a podcast so appreciate you having me yeah man thanks for thanks for doing this thanks for accepting and uh thanks for uh being so fun uh where can people find you what are some of the best places uh all the usual spots i don't really go on, on facebook or anything like that but instagram um if you want to just kind of get like you know clips of some of the cool stuff I'm doing throughout the year and stuff from the other stuff I've done. That's great spot to follow me kind of like single clips, but I also do a lot of YouTube or longer videos, more like vlog style and kind of see some pretty cool spots there. So yeah, YouTube and Instagram. Yeah, guys go follow Dane Jackson. His, his videos are unbelievable. So go follow you. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Dane. Oh man. Appreciate thank you so much, brother. I really appreciate the time today. This was a lot of fun. Of course, dude. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. All right. Take care, buddy.